Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Psalm 139. Let's start with with prayer, though. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the songs that we've sung today that express our heart. Father, may we be able to sing the song even in difficult times. Father, we thank you that you can hear that song in our heart even when it's difficult for us to sing it. For we have your spirit. Christ, then we pray. Amen. I didn't know it till this morning, but today is Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday. I saw the, a, a march this week in, in um, Washington, D.C., and there were throngs and throngs of people going down. It felt like a time lapse. It, it was thousands and thousands of folks. So this chapter, when you think about sanctity of life, is what comes to your mind. It talks about God's handiwork and creation of life and how he, he is above all things. And we'll get to those verses in a minute. But, but even before, before we got to this Sunday... The Lord knew that that was the Sunday that we're celebrating. I didn't know. I didn't know until this morning when I got a text from, from Adam. Um, so it's, it's great to see the, how the Lord is over all things. And we're going to be talking about today that in the verses as well. Starting in uh, verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. And we'll, what we'll do, we'll go through these verses uh, Almost verse by verse. We'll cover all the verses, but what we see in this psalm is divided into four sections. We're going to see the omniscience of God, His all-knowing, His, his understanding of all things, His omnipresence, that He is inescapable, that He's there wherever we are. You can't escape Him. And for those of us who feel like we're far from God sometimes, you're not. He's there right there with you because he's, he's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's nothing that's beyond God's grasp, His control, His understanding and, and ability to um, prove himself mighty in those situations. And the last word's a little kind of a new word to me, obeisance. It's how it's our response to the understanding of who God is. It's it's a humbling, it's a it's a submission of ourselves to God because of how we understand who God is. And we'll get to those as we go through them. But verse verses one and two, you read them again. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. If you look at verse 1, it says, you have searched me and known me. When we have the word have in front of a a verb, here is past tense. You have searched me. In the past, you've done this. But known is a present uh, present perfect tense. It started in the past, but it's still continuing. You have known me. You knew me then, and you continually know me. This is God's understanding of who we are. We are known by God. This is David talking. He's saying, David is personally saying, Lord, you have known me. You've searched me and you've known me. Um, when I sit down, when I rise up. Now, when my kids get up in the, in the night, I don't always hear everything. Our little ones come to our bedroom, and, and re- prim- primarily Riley Jane, and she'll jump in the bed. She likes to snuggle. So she jumps on Stacy's side usually. But when Bryce gets up, it's like somebody's dropped a cord of firewood coming down the stairs. You, you can tell that it's Bryce coming down the stairs. And it's weird, as parents, we can tell which kid's coming down the stairs just by the way they, they step down. I'm not all-knowing. Bryce sounds the same way going back up the stairs, by the way. It's, it's, uh, 
I don't know how he makes so much noise, but it's like picture of an armful of firewood being thrown down the stairs, and somebody throws it down when he's going back up again. So in my finite understanding, I know that's Bryce. But God's understanding is even more than that. God understands so much more than, than I as a parent do. When I, was, when I sit down, when I rise up, so that when I go to bed at night, when I get up, the Lord understands me. He knows even my thoughts from afar. The thought here of God is searching is not the thought that he might discover something new. It's not that God is searching, well, what can I find out now? What, what is new here? God intimately knows us. This is really David recognizing that, that God intimately knows him. God is intimately involved in his life. Not, he didn't just fling the world into existence, but he's intimately involved. And he recognizes God's understanding there. There's nothing hidden from his sight or his understanding. So he's a, um, I'm aware of when the kids come down and when they go back up, uh, but their thoughts are beyond my thoughts. Sometimes I don't understand their thoughts. Um, sometimes I don't understand their logic. Sometimes there is no logic. But, but the Lord, when he looks at us, can be that way as well. We, we, we may look at the Bible in the Old Testament and see how the, the Israelites obeyed God and they turned away from God, and we say, how could they do that? But then it, we look at ourselves and say, that's, that's a picture of me. That's an example of me and how I treat the Lord as well. Um, verse 3. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. This word search out is a little bit different than the, in the first couple of verses. It's the word winnow. When you think about the word winnow, I found a video of it, uh, but it means to winnowing, winnowing is the idea of grain being sifted to remove the chaff. I found a video of a woman doing this, so let's watch this video real quick. It's a long video. I was thinking, man, should I show the whole video? But the point is, the Lord is like her. She, she's an expert winnower, I guess, in, in, in her, where she lives. But think about our life. The Lord is doing that in our path. The Lord is sifting. He's removing the things that are of waste. Like she did expertly at the end. You see what she did? Grabbed it up, threw away the things that she didn't want in there the impurities, the things that she didn't desire to be mixed in with the, the grain that she had. The Lord does similar thing in our life into a, a more perfected area. He is the expert. He knows. And, and when I was watching this, I was thinking, hey, that's taking a long time. Surely it's done by now. Surely she's finished now. And you're, you may have thought, this is a long video just to watch the same thing over and over. But in our life, we can come to times where we're thinking, Lord, I can't take anymore. That's enough sifting, right? Lord, that's, I'm done. I've been perfected. You know, in this area, Lord, that's, I can't take much more of this. So, but the Lord knows 
what he's trying to get out of our life. The Lord knows uh, his desired point in our life. And what is that desire? Is to be like Christ. That desire is to mold us into the image of Christ. That desire is to re- remove the impurities so that there's the pure face of Christ shining at us. And what does he do with those? He throws those away. He removes those things from my life. Does that mean difficult times are going to be there? Yeah. That's a part of the process. That's the part of molding us into the image of Christ. That's the part of, of conforming us into his image and helping us to yield to God in submission and, and in faith and to, to per- persevere. But we're not left to it only. He's not the only one doing the work. As believers, he's also tasked us to remove things from our life. You know, he, he is doing a work in our life, and, and through that process, he's, he's getting the work done, but also he's enabling us to, to work through that process and to, to be effective in our life as well. Um, uh, so I wrote some notes. Look, come on, it looks good enough, that wheat. Sometimes in life we want to rush the process. We must leave it up to the Lord to remove the impurities as long as he believes it's necessary to do the winnowing. It's his expert hand and his perspective is what we need uh, as we're going through the process. In Colossians 3, I'm going to turn there. I uh, won't, won't be there very long, but Colossians 3, uh, starting with verse 1, I believe. Talking about this process, the Lord is the one that's doing it, but we also have a responsibility uh, in this, this life that we're going through. <coughs> Time for a sip. Or slurp. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the, hand, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Therefore, verse 5, put to death your members, those are, which are of the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry, because these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived with them. Verse 8, but now you yourselves are to put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. So the Lord is working this in our life, but we also have a responsibility as in walking in Christ is to put these things away as ourselves as well. But as we do this, we look back to the Lord for the, the strength to be able to do it. But it, all the glory comes back to God. He gets all the glory for the things we're able to rid ourselves of. He gets the glory for conforming us into the image of Christ. And he won't lose any of us. If we're his, he's going to discipline us and he's going to mold us into the image of Christ. That's going to be the final result in there. So we're to put to death the worldly things. We have a responsibility as well, but we give the glory back to the Lord for all of it being done. Uh, verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Before I came up here today to speak, he knew this was sanctity of human life. Well, weak. I didn't know, but the Lord had arranged things to, to be as they are. So we, we praise the Lord for, for that, and we understand him in that manner. Um, all right, David continues with his understanding in the next verses, recognizing God's active hand in protecting his life. Verse 5 says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So he recognizes God's winnowing, the winnowing faith that God's done. He's sifting it. 
but he's also seeing God's actively involved in his, his path. When I think about a par- parade, I don't watch them that often. Uh, I remember when I was little, I used to watch some, but I remember seeing like a, a view from way above, like in the, the blimp. I was thinking, what is that thing called? In the blimp. You can see the beginning and the end of the parade. When I think of this verse, I think about the Lord is the one that's hemming in the ways for the parade. There's a, there's a parade path that's going to be taken. They know far in advance what's going to happen. Now, why would they create the path in such a way? To avoid potholes in some areas, to avoid different reasons. Maybe the, it would be a danger for those in the parade to go down a certain path. Similarly, I view God's handiwork in our life that he has the plan past, he's got a, our path planned out for us. Why am I not going in this direction? I may think it's just my, you know, my choice, and it may partly be my choice, but the Lord in his sovereignty has allowed me to take this path. In his sovereignty, he's avoided these potholes in my life for my good so that I can continue on this, this path of the parade of life that I'm on. The Lord is orchestrating all this. We're not puppets. Now, there could be a time in our life when we say, Lord, I don't want to sin. And there should be a time in life where we're saying, God, if you can make me a robot so that I don't sin, that would be great. And if, we, if we're so convicted over our sin, but sometimes we're not like that. And the Lord's hand, his handiwork is involved in our life and he's moving us here, there. He's moving me to a new job or he's, take, he's taking me out of a job or maybe he's keeping me at my job. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, I want to go somewhere else. But wherever I am, I'm in the Lord's will and I'm there to serve and, and honor him there uh, in those, those places. So he hems me in. Um, this is what David said. He recognized that the Lord has been uh, gracious in his life and he's protected him and allowing things to come and, and protect him in as he goes through those things. Um, and in the, when we go through these things in life, um, they're not always going to be good times. They're going to be difficult times. There's going to be uh, deaths of loved ones. There's going to be sickness and disease. There's going to be loss of jobs. It's going to be relationships and kids that are wayward. These things in no way reflect negatively on God's goodness, on his holiness, and his value um, for who he is. Our circumstances do not dictate God's righteousness or God's value. He is valuable besides that. And in the Scripture, we need to yield on what the Scripture teaches more than what our feelings say. We need to yield ourselves to the truth of Scripture more than that I'm feeling negative about this or um, that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking something other than what Scripture says, but I wouldn't be feeling it if it wasn't right. No, our heart's deceitful. We've got to yield our heart to what the Scripture says and have our understanding and our perspective coming from the Scripture and not from, from just our understanding. Um, it's more than David can truly comprehend. He says, such knowledge, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's, it's, it's more than I can understand. Now, can he understand it to a degree? Yeah, just like we can. We understand salvation to a degree, but do we fully understand the mind of God in salvation? Do we fully understand his grace and his his purposes? No, we don't fully understand everything. We understand enough to share it. We understand enough to, to be saved, but we don't understand enough to say, yeah, this is exactly God's mind and everything in life. We don't understand it that much, and David doesn't either. It's too much. It's high. I cannot attain it, is what he says, and we are in the same place. Like David, such knowledge is too wonderful for us. It's high. We can't attain it, and so that's God's omniscience. We see his omniscience displayed as well. So David, having the understanding that he could muster 
that he could muster what it comes to God's understanding, he moves on to the presence of God. This next section, we see that God is inescapable. He's always there. He's omnipresent. <coughs> Verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. There's nowhere that David recognizes, there's nowhere that he can go that God's not present and in control. As believers, what does that do for us? It's encouraging. It's not a a scary thing for us as believers because we know God already understands us. God already knows our hearts. God God already knows that we are sinners. He's already paid for that sin. So that's an encouraging thing for us as believers. Uh, So at work, at home, uh, at the White House, in Congress, God's in control. Now, we may not always agree with decisions that are made, may not always agree with those who are in place of position or power, but we have to recognize God is still in control of everything. God has not relinquished his, his his, His Godship and His deity to mankind. God is still in control. He allows things to happen for His glory, and maybe the glory that comes through certain decisions or things that happen is that there's a payment for that sin that will glorify God in the end. Just like the payment for my sin that Christ took on the cross glorifies God. There's going to be a payment for sin whose faith is not in Christ, and that payment, that fierce wrath that God puts out on those who are his enemies glorifies God as well. It's a hard thing to think about, but us, we who have been saved by the blood of Christ, will see that and we will glorify God for doing that for his namesake. It may be family members who are being crushed by God. It's not a good thing to see, not a good thing to think about, but God is glorified in the, the retribution for those who sin against him. That's why in Hebrews it talks about such a great salvation that we have. We've been going through Hebrews in Sunday school class. God has provided a salvation for us. God has provided this means of our sins being forgiven in Christ. And this salvation, if you neglect it, there's no other recourse. There's no other salvation you can have in any other place. Only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. And if you're not relying on Christ, if you're not relying on what he's done, Either you're not concerned about sin or you have totally rejected Christ. Either one of those places is a bad place. But yield to Christ. Turn to Him. Understand your sin. Understand the gravity of it. Understand His holiness and that sin must be judged and and that He has provided salvation through Christ. Now we sing the song, Where sin abounds, His grace abounds even more. And that is is such a, a truth. I love that song. Also, the converse of that, where sin abounds, so does his justice. That sin's been paid for in Christ, but for there are some, there's some that sin's still heaping up, and that sin's going to be paid for by themselves because their faith is not in Christ. Don't be in that group. Uh, for those who do not know the Lord but try to flee from his presence, look at this verse again. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? To believers, it's a great thought. But to unbelievers, 
who try to escape, it's a, it's a sobering thought. There's nowhere you're able to go. There's nowhere you can flee from, that, from him. If I send to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, into grave, into death, you're there as well. There's no place to escape God. There's no place to get away from his justice and wrath and holiness and, and um, almightiness. Uh, where sin abounds, his grace is available. and Judgment is coming for those who don't uh, act on that. All to God's glory. Uh, verse 9, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, <coughs> sorry, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall come over me and the night and the light about me be night. David is taking comfort in knowing that there's no distance too far that he can see or travel that he's apart from God. As one whose faith is in God, as one whose heart is God's heart, he understands that, and the Lord is there to protect him and lead him you know, as far as he can see and as far as he can even think or, or actually travel, God's there. He has confidence in the Lord. Uh, verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall come over me and the light about me be night. Just because David was a man after God's own heart doesn't mean that he didn't deal with something people, someone's re- referred to as dark uh, nights of the soul. We as believers can go through difficult times where we're, God doesn't feel present. God doesn't feel like he's there. God's not answering my prayers, I, seemingly answering them. He doesn't, is even hearing me. We can be in those places, but David is, is assured through the first part that when he gets to those, those places, uh, surely the darkness shall cover me and the, night, and the light about me be night. He's thinking is in, in those parts and times of my life, when I'm not recognizing the light of Christ, when I'm not recognizing God's handiwork, even there God is, is still present. Even there is His uh, hand is guiding me, His hand is securing me, His, his hand is, is still uh, on me in those times. Um, so when he loses heart and is expecting the worst out of life, so that even the good things life seems to be bringing, bring darkness, God is there too. Uh, the darkness is nothing to God. Think about that. Today we have what FLIR, FLIR, FLIR technology where they have the lights and they can see the heat at, at night. You can't, you know, from the helicopter, you're not going to be able to hide from the, from the police helicopter. Brady, if you're running from the cops because you stole some copper out of somewhere, <laughs> you're not going to be able to hide because they've got the technology to see you even at night. The Lord is beyond this. Anything we can think of, the Lord's beyond it. The Lord understands our hearts. He knows where you're going even before you run there. You're not going to hide because you've gotten under, under some kind of canopy from the helicopter. Maybe from a helicopter you can hide from it, but the Lord knows us. It says, even in the light about him, it be, be dark. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 13. No, I'm sorry, verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Even the things, the dark times in our life, God is able to shine through and to, to give us light and to, to pull us through the, the dark times we're going through. But for those who are trying to run from God, those who were rebelling, those who, who, whose faith is not in God, they're in darkness. But everything's exposed to God. Their heart is still exposed to God. Even though they don't recognize their sin, even though they may actually recognize it and be rebelling, that is not dark to God. He is still seeing those things. Um, he is inescapable. He's always there. He's omnipresent. 
these next verses, we see some of the most beautiful figurative language that I know of in the Bible expressing praise to God for giving him glory um, and giving him credit for the miracle of life. <coughs> Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. And God, he has given, David has given credit to God for this miracle of life. Now, did God create David physically out of dirt? No, he made Adam and Eve. But he gives God the credit. When, when David sinned with Bathsheba, he said, against you and you alone have I sinned. Did he sin against others? Yeah. But his understanding was God's perspective is ultimate. God's perspective of, about how things are, the truth is the ultimate understanding that he should have. And he gives God the credit. You knitted me together. Now, I don't knit. Stacy used to knit some. I couldn't just pick up the knitting needles and, and make, make a sock. <laughs> I just thought about a sock that Stacy made. I don't have a picture of it. I wish I did. But the toes are like that long. And the, the heel was like that. I don't know. We made it when she was in Italy. Or she, she made it. But she was learning the craft of knitting. She's telling me to go ahead. God's knitting is perfect. God's, God's handiwork, his uh, credit for the life that we have, is God, that's what David's recognizing, that God is the one who has the, uh, the ability to, to do this. I found a, a post about the human body and how intricate it is. Let me read this to you. The human body is a unique design of multiple systems that work intricately together. The cardiovascular system gives you the energy to move. The muscular system gives you the ability to move, lift, and hold things. The digestive system, produce, system processes food and energy and discards waste. The immune system keeps you healthy. The hormonal system depend, determines your gender. The eyes cause you to see. The nose lets you smell. The tongue and mouth lets you eat and taste. The ears enable you to hear. And your skin enables you to feel textures. None of this is wild information you've never maybe heard before. But we think about this is God's creation and what God has made and enabled our bodies to do. Then you're also blessed with a brain so that you can think, process, and create. God has, has intricately woven us and created our body. That's why there's sanctity of human life, because this is a creation that God has made. It's different than the animals. God's given us his spirit. God's given us the image of himself. And that image starts, according to the Bible, before you even see the image, in the secret place, in the hidden place. Now, David could give the credit to his parents. They're the ones that went through the act of getting pregnant. But we give the credit... I need her. <laughs> but we give the credit to God because God is the one who's over all things. God even created electricity. <laughs> if you didn't know, we have electricity in our body. I heard recently that it, our, the electrical impulses in our body could run a small city, I think for several months. Run the electricity here. <laughs> So it's, it's amazing that God's created in our body. Um, we see God's intimate involvement and thoughts in creation of mankind and his power to create life from nothing. We see direct attribution to God for the miracle of life. David speaks to 
uh, to God saying this, you formed, you knitted, I praise you, wonderful are your works, your eyes saw. So David is casting all the praise back to, to, to the Lord. All the glory goes back to the Lord for that. Uh, from there, David <coughs> moves ahead to later in his life. Um, that God's all-seeing eye is there as well. If you've been here for the last six weeks or so, uh, Pastor Shane and Adam have gone through the story of the Bible from beginning to, to, to Christ, and we see how God's progressively revealed himself and through, through the Bible, and that's what God's done. He's, it's, it's his story, and David is just a small part of that. He's big in the Bible. You know, everybody hear about David. Everybody knows, has heard of David, but he is a small part in God's big plan. It all culminates with Christ. It didn't come culminate with David. David was a man after God's own heart, but David had failures. David had sin. Pointing to Christ. Things in our life point us to Christ. The Bible is pointing us to Christ. It's a progressive revelation. Culminating with, with Jesus Christ. Um, our next verse is, let me read into that verse again, into the next one. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written every one of them, the days before, the days that were formed for me. So David was, was ordained, his position, David's life was ordained by God. He was a part of God's plan. God's sovereign over all things, and David was a part of that. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Think about something that's precious. We think about our kids. Think about Lord of the Rings. You think about, what's his name, Gollum? The creature in My Precious or whatever he says all the time. And he's, he was obsessed with it. it. It took him over. We should be that way with God. We should be that way with God's word. How precious is his word? How precious are his thoughts? How vast is the sum of them? If, if I would count them, they are more than the sand I'm awake and I'm still with you. So how do we know God's thoughts? Do we just get them revealed to us every day today? Through his word. Through reading his word. It's not just going to come to us. We've got to read his word. I'm guilty. I don't read like I should. But I know that the word of life, the word of truth is found in God's word. Not in my own revelation and understanding. But it's found in what God says and what he has, has revealed to us through his word. David loves the thoughts of God, uh, they're too great for him. And they are too great for us as well. Uh, God is omnipotent. So David recognized God has all knowledge. He's omniscient. His presence is, is everywhere. He's omnipresent. He's also all-powerful. Um, but is just a recognition of that all we need? I think Satan recognizes those things. Right? There are many folks that would recognize those things about God, but it's not, that's not far enough. There's a, there's a response that has to be happening in our life as David's life, and we see the response that he, he's given us, but there's a, there's, we have to go beyond just recognizing those things. Uh, no, in light of, of this understanding, David's response is in deferential respect and submission. Uh, the term for this obe is obeisance. This is a definition. A movement of the body made in token of respect or submission, acknowledgement of another support, superiority, or importance. When we think about God and what we understand Him from Scripture, are we moving in that direction? Are we deferring our own will? Are we subjecting ourselves to God because we recognize who He is? We recognize that He is above all things, that I can't attain it? 
What should that do? That shouldn't make me try to compete with him. It makes me submit. It makes me be like the prophet Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm living among a people of unclean lips. That should be our heart's response. And then Christ lifts us back up. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. And this is David's response to to understanding these verses he's already gone through. This is his response. You can see a change in his his tone. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. (coughs) O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, little Lord? And do not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So he changes his tone, not from one of understanding and contemplation to one of being on the offense. Lord, I'm on your team. And I picture this in my mind. In my mind, it looks a lot better than how I explain it. But I picture him kind of like Aragon from Lord of the Rings, I guess. But as someone in a suit of armor kneeling, his hair kind of got long, dirty hair, needs to be washed probably because he's been in battle. But he's kneeling in submission to the Lord with his people behind him, saying, Lord, we are on your side. We are in battle for you. Does God need him to defend him? No. God doesn't need me to to defend him. God doesn't need me to to do anything. God has done it all for me. But I want to be on his side. I want to be one that submits to him and one that, that shows others that I'm submissive to him. I want to be one that, that lifts the Lord up and where he belongs, not, not just as a God, but he is the one true God. So in my mind, it looked a lot better than what I explained it, but, uh, but anyway, that's, that's the, kind of how I see David in his submission is following the Lord, willing to go to battle for the Lord and willing to, to do uh, what it takes to, to fight for the Lord, willing to take on the world and any enemy that would come against the Lord as though the Lord needed David to protect him. He didn't, but, but he's willing to do that. <coughs> so why did he have this response? Because he understand, understood who the Lord was, and this was his obeisance. This was his right response in view of who God is. Now, David had that. We have opportunity to have that as well. We, we have an understanding of who God is. We have an opportunity, and we have, whether you think it or not, it's happening. We're either submitting to the Lord or we're rejecting the Lord. And for those of us who are in Christ, and it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing what we've heard. It's a great thing to, to understand these things about God. And daily we need to do this. We need to submit ourselves to the Lord, recognize His goodness and these things in our life. But back up to verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Back to 23. Now David's attitude is saying this, search me, O God, and know my heart. He's recognized that God's done it. Now he's inviting that. In our lives, are we inviting the Lord to to look at our heart? Are we inviting the Lord to to test us to see whether we're we're honoring him, to test our motives, to test our actions? We should be doing that. As a believer, we should be doing that. And as believers, we do that. Now, we're not constantly that place. That's why we have what? The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is there to remind us to, to consider ourselves, to remind us to, to think about what the Lord's done and to, to call us to, to repentance as well. Uh, so is that your hearts today? Uh, do you want the Lord to search you and to know your thoughts and to, to try you and to know your mind? If you know Christ, that should be our desire. 
in view of who he has been revealed in Scripture, not just in Psalms, but in all of Scripture. We, we have the benefit of having the whole Scripture. We have the benefit of having the Holy Spirit within us, convicting us of sin, convincing us of righteousness, and, and helping us to progress in our Christian life. Um, yield yourself anew to him. Uh, may we all do this as believers. Uh, but somebody today may not be a believer. If that's your heart's desire today, if that is not your heart's desire today because you don't know Christ, it's just a reminder that he already knows your heart. Even the darkness is like light to him. The nighttime is like day. There's nothing that can be hidden from him. Turn by faith. Repent. Christ has, has done more than just died on the cross. He rose again. He was born. He took on flesh. He was tempted as we're tempted so that he can understand and have compassion for us as we go through temptations. He died. He forever makes intercession for us and, and prays for us and is, stand, is, is there at the right stand of God. And one day he's coming back. For those of us who know Christ, it's a glorious day. We're, we're looking forward to that. But if you don't know Christ, it's, it may be a scary thing. Today is the day for you to consider that. Consider where you are in Christ, if you know him or not. Turn to him by faith. Repent of your sins. Repent means just turning away from your sin and turning to Christ. Re rejecting sin and turning to Christ by faith. Recognizing that his death on the cross is sufficient for your sin. And more than just that it is, that you are relying on his death on the cross for payment for your sin. Not just that it can be, but that it is. Are you working? Have you worked that out in your life that your faith is in Christ? Um, if you haven't, today's the day you should be considering that. Today's the day that you, by faith, should do those things. I'm going to pray. I'll be here at the end of service if anybody wants to, to talk about that. Um, see Adam, see any of the deacons here, any of us can, can talk to you about, about this. And, uh, but it's the most important thing. We see God's omnipotence, his omnipresence, his omniscience, and it calls us to obey. It calls us to repent and to, <coughs> by faith, follow Christ. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.